0: Hello and welcome to The Paper Lantern, a career-focused podcast for students and young professionals. I'm your host, Derek Wong, and my goal is to help light up your career path by sharing stories, advice, and perspectives from relatable role models. Each episode, I sit down with an inspiring achiever, creator, or professional who's excited to share their advice to help you discover your passion or get unstuck. If each episode represents one paper lantern, my dream is to fill the sky with paper lanterns for the whole world to see. Thanks for listening to the Paper Lantern Podcast, and I hope that you enjoy each episode. Hello, friends and listeners, to this next episode of the Paper Lantern Podcast. On this episode, I sit down with a gentleman named Jerry Lee, who I think is a tremendous, well rounded, and very ambitious guy. Well, who is Jerry Lee? He is a professional, he is an entrepreneur, And above all, he's someone who's really passionate about helping to inspire and guide others to achieve their own career success. And this is the reason why I was so excited to reach out to Jerry when I saw his posts on LinkedIn about how he was doing workshops and sharing different perspectives to help college students with their recruiting. Jerry is a senior associate on a strategy team at Google, where he helps shape the future of Google's big bets and their different product offerings. Something that I really appreciate about Jerry is how authentic, genuine, and caring that he is. He's a really thoughtful person to both his friends, the students that he helps, and cares deeply about his family and his relationships. In this wide-ranging conversation, Jerry shares more about his career journey and reflects on some of the most important lessons and pieces of advice that he's received over the years. We talk about some of the challenges that young Asian professionals face working in corporate America and some of the strategies that we can adopt to improve on them. And lastly, we go deeper into some time management strategies or ways that we can get better about protecting our time and saying no to things. I really appreciated the thoughtfulness and the dialogue that I had today with Jerry and I hope that you find it as valuable and inspiring as I did. Alrighty, welcome Jerry Lee to the Paper Lantern Podcast. How are you doing?
1: I'm good. Thank you so much for having me on the show, Derek. I'm very excited to be here.
0: Likewise, I know we've been chatting over the last few weeks and months and it's super exciting to have you. Uh, And for our listeners, would you love to do a quick little intro for yourself?
1: yeah sure um so i'm jerry i'm currently a senior strategy and operations manager here at google and for those people who may not be familiar with uh like the business strategy world that pretty much means i work with our management team to understand how do we structure our business how do we work with the various departments within google to really accelerate the growth of the business and so that's what i do at a high level Um, side projects love helping develop uh, Asians um, and other minorities around the world and I do that through podcasts workshops and really engaging on LinkedIn
0: yeah I I think we first got acquainted I saw a lot of your great content some of the work you do (laughs) to help motivate others on LinkedIn so I'm glad that we have this time and space to be able to talk more about that and we'll definitely go deeper into some of your other projects what you do and your journey so before we dive into that i'd love to start this episode off with a lightning round so we can get to know you a little bit better for some of our listeners that might not be as familiar with strategy and such so we're definitely a dig deeper Uh, but for yourself what's a lesser known talent or something that might not show up on your linkedin profile (laughs)
1: yeah one lesser known talent i'm actually really flexible um i could put my leg behind my head whoa yeah super random i learned this when i was in high school and we would always do stretches and I would go further down much uh, much more than the average person I was like oh my gosh I'm much more flexible than I thought super, super random
0: wow and do you ever take yoga classes and sometimes freak out the other people you know downward dog oh my god he went backwards or not, not, you
1: know, not yet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no not not yoga not, not not I've definitely taken a step back from that but um yeah I'm sure if I picked it up I could probably do it again <laughs> yeah very cool. Very
0: cool. A little bit of stretchiness.
1: Uh,
0: and another yeah. fun question would be: You know, what is one of the most impactful people or books that you've uh, had a chance to read or meet?
1: Yeah, I think the most impactful person. I think this is a very cliche answer, but definitely my parents. Um, mm-hmm. Just a quick background is: For me, I grew up in a low income household where, you know, money and trying to figure out this American culture, especially coming from a second or first generation background, it really caused you know got me to realize hey like for uh, two people with their kids to come to a country where they don't understand the culture or or any language and on top of that being stuck uh being held with financial struggles and yet being able to come to the opposite side and saying hey we were able to struggle through that to me was is something that i will never be able to fathom and it's something i really respect my parents for um so most powerful person my or people rather my parents It's
0: incredible if you think about our parents and one first thanks for sharing that I think when we think about our own careers and we're trying to manage uncertainty and goals and fulfillment and then we look at our parents where they moved from another country and where are your parents originally from or what country did
1: they move from? Yeah, so my parents are from Korea.
0: Yeah, yeah. So imagine moving an entirely different country with only a set amount of money in in your pocket and trying to figure it out and trying to, somehow you have to make it work and somehow things happen to work out. And it seems like the problems that they faced and the uncertainty is so much more than what we face. But at the same time, everything's relative. Huh?
1: Yeah, and it really is. And it really makes me, you know, whenever I'm having a bad day or whenever I'm really thinking about, man, my situation is so, you know, so bad. I always really think back to my parents and saying, hey, like, what would my parents do if they were in my shoes today? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that really kind of gives me the, the hope that saying, hey, you know what, like if my parents could really figure out, you know, the whole, you know, college application process and really help help walk me through that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, government, you know, aid, you know, aid, aid, aid agencies that they really have and, and all that, you know, I'm sure I could figure out whatever problem I'm going through. So it gives me a lot of comfort knowing that my parents have been able to go through so much. So I have an example of what type of mentality I should have when I face hardships in my life. I love it, I love it.
0: And I imagine in your role currently at Google in the strategy team, I know it's a pretty intense workload and I know that there's high expectations and pretty long working hours, but outside of work, how do you de-stress or how do you build that work-life balance? What are some hobbies or ways that
1: you escape from all that? Yeah, so I think it really comes down to two areas where I uh, devote all my time outside of work. One is passion projects and two is just Hanging out with friends Um, Mm -hmm. so for me, and we can talk more about this later, but I love giving back to the broader community about professional development and financial literacy and those two topics I'm super passionate about because those in my eyes have really changed the way I've been able to live my life. And the more I read into this, the more I realize that none of this is rocket science. Mm -hmm. And the more I look into it, the more I'm understanding that there is a huge knowledge gap for people to develop themselves professionally, but also Understand the financial situation and so in that's a whole aspect that I can talk for hours about (laughs) But the other half of it is um, really spending time with my friends and I'm very intentional about making sure that I make time to see and call as many people as Possible because for me growing up not only were my parents my foundation but it was my friends who really helped me figure out you know, how to do well in the SATs and how to apply to college and editing my college applications when I didn't have the resources that, you know, some of my uh, other peers may have had with regards to college prep and all that. And so because they were there as my support system throughout my past 10 years of my life, are really important to me. Yeah. I know that
0: you live in the Bay Area now, and would you say most of your closest friends are the ones that you see most often? Are they recent friends that you met since you moved here, or are they friends from college, or even early in your life that happened to move to the city as well?
1: Yeah, it's so. I would say majority of them are probably from college, but there still are a handful that I still know from elementary and middle school and high school. And so, um, but I would say by and large, majority of them are. Uh, from college, though, I've developed some really, really close friends um, during, uh, uh, I guess, after college as well. So it's a pretty d- d- diverse split. And I think that split definitely helps me. guess um, uh, helped me think through some of the rocks that I go through in my life. Because for every single person that I consider really close in my life, there's something that I, there's at least one thing that I really respect about them. And whatever that struggle relates to that specific thing, that's the person I talk to.
0: That's awesome. I think it's really important to have that well-balanced group of friends. If you only have friends that are working in corporate, working in startups, they only live and breathe that same that same Kool-Aid that you do, and a certain extent, it just multiplies, you keep comparing yourself, and it can be negative energy. So I think it's important to have that, that well-balanced group of friends, some that are really creative and have different career paths, and I think it's important to take a step back and breathe, especially in the Southern Valley, where so many close friends are all kind of doing the same thing, I think it's important to have a, a diverse group of friends and perspectives.
1: Yeah, and, and that, that perspective is so key because, you know, like, you said, like you're mentioning, it could very much be an echo chamber very quickly. And so mm-hmm. how do you make sure that the people around you give you a perspective of something that you haven't thought of before? Mm-hmm. And that'll really help you make a well-informed decision about whatever decision that you're trying to make, whether it be career, you know, personal relationships, whatever, what have you.
0: Mm-hmm. Beautifully said. I think with the time today, I think just to create some context for our listeners, as I mentioned before, I reached out to you because I saw that you're doing some really, really cool work, you know, supporting young professionals and students, trying to motivate them, and that's something that I also share a passion for. And I wanted to you know, have you on this podcast today to share more about your journey and how did you discover this passion for helping people, whether in their careers, financial literacy. Uh, but could you walk us through your career journey and share more about what motivates you and what you're passionate about?
1: Absolutely. So I think my career started when I got into college, where you know, prior to college, it was absolutely nothing. I had never mm-hmm. worked uh, a part-time job, not even retail. because none of the retail uh jobs would ever go through and so um Mm -hmm. I would have small gigs as a tutor but my career really started when I went in college and that's when I first started my um you know on campus jobs and really trying to figure out what it means to be um you know professional and all that and that's where I feel like I've learned what it meant to be in an office environment Mm -hmm. and then after that was really when during my sophomore year I did I did uh, part time internships every semester throughout my college career. So which started at my sophomore sophomore year, where I interned at a strategy consulting firm as an anal- industry analyst. Where, um, you know, that was the first time I was exposed to what it meant to work with partners and work with clients and build you know, PowerPoint slides and Excel models and all that. And so that really gave me a glimpse for what it meant to be in the professional environment. And fast forward, you know, up until my junior year summer, I had worked at in a, in a boutique investment bank at Dell EMC at a, uh, a private equity firm, um, and a life sciences m firm. And so I, because I had such a wide variety of experiences, um, when I was applying for my junior year summer internship, I came across Google, in which I just threw my resume in the hat. Um, and for most people, it's kind of weird because you'd expect for a company like Google that you need like you know a referral. You need to know you know your aunt's uncle needs to be like the you know uh, a director at the company for you to land an interview. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, I just threw my resume in the hat. Um, luckily landed an interview and uh, thankfully was the first intern from my school to intern at Google uh, which really set the foundation for the rest of my career because post-college start off as an analyst was promoted in eight months um, as a fast promotee to a strategist Transitioned then my career into becoming a strategy and operations manager fast forward another year um, was promoted again to become a senior strategy and operations manager here at Google and so um, you know Part of the reason why you know I'm so passionate about this whole professional development is because mentors and people, uh, mentors, organizations, and my friends have really set the foundation for me and really helped teach me about what it means to be a professional and how do you act in a workplace, how do you make sure that you get the recognition that you deserve for the work that you do, and how do you make sure that aligns your career growth. Um, and so that's my career in a, in a nutshell. Yeah, I mean, there's so much to unpack
0: there, anywhere from the with you know, that first step for taking your career from, hey, I'm a college student, I'm sure you had some sense of you wanted to do business based on the, the college you went to, and, and I'm kind of channeling from our last conversation, you went to Babson, which I know is a famous school for entrepreneurship, is that correct? Yes. And why did you choose that, and how did you kind of bridge that to your major and to that first internship in strategy? What was kind of that that? mind space that you had when you first entered college
1: yeah so um when i when i was applying to college it was very much of a spray and pray kind of method where i applied to as many schools as possible i think i applied to maybe about 20 to 25 schools and Mm -hmm. out of that i pretty much got accepted to five of which you know i I chose basically the one that gave me the most amount of money Mm -hmm. actually which turned out to be Babson. And so, um, it was primarily through luck of the draw. I had done almost no research on school, which I absolutely do not recommend people do. <laughs> <laughs> not the best way to go about your career nor your education. But um, yeah, for me, it was just looking into it, and saying, "Hey, all right, this is a business school. I want to do business. Let's go right mm-hmm. into it." Um, but what I didn't realize was that um, Babson, given that you know it is known for or it is a school known for its entrepreneurship program. Incorporates the entrepreneurship type thinking into every part of its curriculum. That be it, you know, uh, strategy or analytics. They really try to make you think hey, you don't have to be an entrepreneur or you don't have to be, you don't have to start your own business to be classified as an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. Rather, it could mean that you do a a completely new project that solves a huge pain point at work. Or there's a huge opportunity market and you think of a way for you to capture it in a in a in a very efficient way. And so given that, I think that's really shifted my shape shaped my interest into strategy, where strategy is all about what what is what is answering the big question of what does our company do and how do we do it? And given that entrepreneurship is all about high-level thinking. Challenging the status quo, making things for the better—it aligned with my interests very closely, and so um, that's really why I, I landed my first internship in strategy because it felt very in line with my interests. That's really
0: cool to be able to better understand what are you motivated by, what are you interested in, having a strong sense of the underlying why. what You that I'd say pretty early on, a good self-awareness of why you want to move into a particular field and. I think it's, I don't want to say it's rare, but it's not always the most common thing where somebody chooses their first internship and granted, it's a bullseye, you know, you get the jackpot and you've built up a series of sequential experiences in your career to help build on that. But along that journey, were there ever times where you're interested in other fields, whether it's you know going into product or you know, changing things entirely, you know, I'm sure when friends are starting to go into accounting or finance That's or tough. banking, right? There's that glow or that halo effect of what your friends are doing. Did you ever experience that? Could you share some stories about the, your yeah. circles?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the first classes that I took at Babson was Accounting 101 and is with a professor who was so passionate about accounting. And the way that he taught it, the way that it made it seem like, was something that I was like, wow, like I want to become exactly like this professor. Mm. Uh, and I'll never forget he was such a great professor, so kind, so down to earth. And, um, I remember a- after that class, I was like, I want to become an accountant. Mm. And funny enough, you know, it, I got, to, I got a chance to go visit one of the offices and I was like, wow, like, it's just so amazing. I'm so excited to go visit a PwC. Um, and PwC being one of the big accounting firms, I was like, this is going to be perfect. I'm going to land my internship. I'm going to land my job. My life will be perfect. Mm. Um, But little did I know, as soon as I got on to uh, visit the company, I realized that every floor was silent, like a library. And it was very much against, I guess, not in line with my personality because I'm very much of an extra person. I love talking, communicating, collaborating and, and I didn't get that sense from my office trip. So I was, you know, saying, Hey, this doesn't seem like the right path for me. And now I'm going to try something else. And the the common theme, like you're mentioning before, was banking. Mm -hmm. Everyone was saying, hey, you know, I can't wait to make six figures right out of college. Can't wait to grind for five years of my life. And I'm going to be set for the rest of my life. It's going to be perfect. Um, And the more I looked into it, the more I was realizing, hey, like, I actually don't like reading the Wall Street Journal every day. I actually don't really care about understanding the markets. And, and, you know, what, what the latest thing that the feds did with the interest rates and how that impacts the price of gold. Mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. um, yeah. And so I was like, very quickly, you know what, this is not for me. And that's where consulting came into the picture. And that was the next year path that I went and walked down upon. And which ultimately, and landed my first internship there. And I think one of the common themes that I had throughout my entire, I guess, my first, you know, uh, step into finding out what I wanted to do was, I didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do, but I just said, you know what? This sounds like the most, the closest thing that aligns my interest. I walked down that path until I hit a bump and I said, you know what, like, this is not something that I want. And then thus I switched, I switched directions. Yeah. And then I walked down that path, hit another bump, like I'm gonna keep, now I'm gonna switch directions again. And then I walked down the consulting path until I realized, hey, this is something that I really want. And so I think the, the biggest lesson there is that I, oftentimes we have this, you know, analysis paralysis or, or, or over decision where we think about so many analyze every single decision, every single path and we come up saying, man, there's so, I have so many interests and I don't know what to do. Um, and most, and when I hear this, the, most, the first thing I was talking was, you know what, just walk down a path. And if you have no, if everything sounds perfect, exactly the same, just throw one, you know, put everything on a dartboard. Throw a, throw a dart, and that's the path that you're going to walk down until you don't like it anymore. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that, that's what really helped me narrow down what I really like, um, especially much earlier on to my career.
0: Yeah, I think there's a lot of... There's this illusion early on in our careers or through college that once you choose one career path, it's all groovy and perfect. But in reality, most of your career... The modern career path is a lot of course correction. You start that one path, and then you make corrections. think for myself similar to what you shared about accounting I took my first accounting class at community college when I was 16 it was uh, I started my career at at Kentucky Fried Chicken as a cashier (laughs) and at night I was uh, I I really wanted to learn principles of accounting so uh, that during these business competitions that I would take part of with my friends we would always get zero out of 10 on our on that scoring so we would never (laughs) be able to win because we just did not understand it so I remember being you know Coming straight from KFC, sometimes I took off my uniform, but I still smelled like chicken. And, right. and I, I still remember the, the professor at the time was still one of the most interesting and fascinating human beings. As you mentioned, those early formative role models really change your change your mind or influence you in certain in more ways that you can comprehend at the time. But I still remember my professor, his name was Mr. Brown, and this guy is a certified badass because he, before being, I think maybe becoming a cognitive, that's a bad, but uh, he used to be a uh, on a naval submarine. So he was literally on a submarine for, I think, 12 years of his life. And he just had this proper, polite, but also like commanding, authoritative presence. And his one phrase that he would say all the time is, OK, folks, we are in good shape. And he has this you know, <laughs> ramrod straight posture. He reminds me of, for folks that watch uh, Breaking Bad, Gustavo um, right. Freeman, just like, very polished you know wire glasses very astute yeah. and i was like i want to have this poise of this professional but then you know once you get into the you know, accounting debits and credits you realize okay it's good to know this but i don't want to make this my career per se exactly yeah so it's yes. really fun to reflect on that and i think kind of echoing what you shared before about you know, kind of course correction for myself that someone that knew that they wanted to go into marketing there's so many aspects on that journey i'm sure when you did that first internship in strategy, I'm sure that there were elements that you really, really enjoyed as well as certain parts, whether it's the size of the company, the industry, so many other factors that you didn't know yet. So as good as we can predict our future, It's all based on what do you know currently and what do you not know, right? There's the known unknowns and there's that whole two by two way of analyzing the future. But at the end of the day, there's certain things that you will never be able to experience until you have that sometimes negative wake-up call. Ah, I didn't think about that. So I think that's always something that we'll have to manage as we go throughout our careers.
1: Yeah, and, and I think I really like that idea of saying, you know what, like there's always you have to be comfortable with not knowing everything and there's understanding that you're always going to have some level of unknown in your life but that's not the end of the world because at the end of the day what's what could happen is you go down a career path you work it for one to two years and you say you know what i actually don't like doing analytics anymore maybe i want to transition transition into marketing and Mm -hmm. so many people they do that and that's okay and oftentimes i think people put so much pressure into saying hey you know my first job is gonna you know you know set the tone for the rest of my career yes that's true to a certain extent but not really especially for your first career mm-hmm. um so that's always something that I, I always keep in mind and saying and have comfort in saying you know what like if strategies is something that i want to go into you know i've i i have some level of confidence saying you know what like it's okay because i'll eventually be able to course correct myself and go into mm-hmm. something else Sure. Yeah.
0: I think the most important part is getting some experience right? because you can build on that no matter where you go. So whether you're exactly. choosing between these two jobs or choosing which field you want to go to, I think the most important thing is to do something about it. Right. And mm-hmm. in the meantime, I think doing the research and talking to people is a great way to get, get a stronger point of view and get a hypothesis or an opinion. I think I want to do this because of these reasons. So uh, for yourself too, having worked in strategy for a number of years, is this, a space that you see yourself you know, longer term, and in this case, not you know, 10, 20 years, but another two to three years. Or do you see yourself making uh, a different type of like product side of pivot, a marketing pivot, or have you not really? Uh, are you not really that inclined to of make a decision at this point?
1: Yeah, I, I think um, you know uh, it. For me, I think this this whole world of strategy in my mind is so fascinating because at the end of the day. You're making a, a well-informed decision on how a business should move forward, and in my mind, even though that I'm, you know, I'm aligned to the digital ad space, there's so much work to be done and so much work that can be done, and so for me, it's still so intellectually stimulating that I, I could see myself for at least within the near term mm-hmm. being in the space, um, and so I think one of the rule of thumbs that I've constantly have heard from my mentors in the past have always been, if you're not learning, then you're not growing. And for me, given that I feel like I'm still being stretched, I'm still growing, I'm sorry, I'm still learning. At the end of the day, I still feel like I'm on that path of, hey, you know what, like, there's still a lot of work for me to be done in this space and not saying, hey, it feels like the same thing every day. It's a short, I absolutely see myself uh, saying mm-hmm. here. That's awesome.
0: And again, thanks for sharing your perspectives on and your journey about how you got to your current career. And to shift gears a little bit, another another career-related topic that we can both speak at length about and would love to hear your thoughts on are the bamboo ceiling. I know for folks so that aren't as familiar, it's this term that is coined that essentially says that there's a a leadership ceiling that is faced by Asians, Asian Pacific Americans in the broader corporate America structure whether it's yeah. not failing to exhibit leadership traits or simply popularity or matching the culture of the other leaders. We'd we'll love to hear your thoughts on what defining this challenge and some of the things that you're doing or that you see other people do to fight the bamboo ceiling.
1: Yeah, I think I think the bamboo ceiling is something that's not talked about enough because the initial statistics that people often focus on is saying hey what percentage of people are currently within you know roles that are in coveted industries like tech mm-hmm. but the often the other side of the coin is people often forget you know what about after you're in the career what happens then and that's really what I define as bamboo ceiling about Breaking into the management or leadership type roles, what does representation look like there? And, you know, this is not only an Asian, Asian problem, but it's well represented across different uh, minority groups. But if we're talking about specifically Asians um, and, they, and the broader Pacific Islander uh, community, I think the, the biggest rock that I see, uh, at least anecdotally, is this whole idea of being what you would define as a westernized leader and this westernized leader you know is really defined as someone who s- speaks very loud and very confidently someone who you know isn't sh- isn't shaken by rocks or isn't shaken by you know anything anything that gets thrown at them it's someone that is really really makes sure that they they you know whenever they get pushed back that they really know what what to do and be very commanding mm-hmm. and i think in a lot of ways As growing, especially for me, growing up as an Asian American, you're not taught to be that leader when you're a kid. You're often taught to listen to authorities, especially your parents and especially people older than you. And so as you think about how that reflects in the professional workplace, you if you're working with a senior leader or you're working with, you know, a senior manager, um, oftentimes the biggest value add that you can add is to question them, to ask why to push back and be that thought leader with them. And that's really one of the things i that really motivates or motivates me to stay within the strategy space. It's all about the the logic and the thought process that that wins. Not tenure, not how old you are, not what function you're in. It's always a thought process. And this is something that I see especially as I think about my 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 career because earlier on I very much adopted the philosophy of my manager's right all the time and they would give me a direction for a project, and I would say, okay, I'm going to run with it. Instead of ask, instead of saying, hey, they gave me this direction, let me take a step back and think, is that the right direction? Is there a better way of going about this? If not, how can I, or maybe should I spend some time brainstorming with them and saying, hey, does it make sense for us to pursue a different route? Mm-hmm. And I think that's really the crux of this, this idea of bamboo ceiling. Yeah, and I'd love to dig deeper into
0: some of your experiences, especially with mentors, managers and allies. I can talk a little bit about some of the some some things you observe or experience where "Mm, you get called out for not speaking up in a meeting. And that becomes a big wake up call that "Mm, I need to start speaking up more or expressing things like how did you first build that backbone or that foundation to be able to say, you know what, I'm going to start speaking up more. Did you ever have any coaching or mentors or past managers really push you? I would love to hear more about that.
1: Yeah, I think when I first entered my strategy role, so I came from an analyst background where I was purely the the guy who ran the numbers, deep into the methodology and I would come with a definitive answer. And so when you would talk about methodology, you know, I would really know my I would know my stuff and I'd be super confident about it. But when it came to working with senior leaders, I always took their, you know, their their opinions as as truth, as I mentioned before. And so the first revelation that I've had that I remember was when I first entered my strategy role, um, immediately I had to work with very senior leaders that I wasn't comfortable with Mm -hmm. and, you know, people who are 10, 20, 25 years into their career and have come from McKinsey, you know, Harvard Business School and such accomplished backgrounds. And I'm like, these guys must know so much more than me. I add no value here. And that was the underlying assumption that I had going into this job. And as I thought more about it, the biggest wake up call was I was in a meeting and I was with the senior leader and he was saying, hey, my team wants to wants to propose um, this new go to market strategy. What do you think? And my immediate response was, you know, in my in my head, I was thinking he knows much more than I do. He knows much more than I do. He's so much more tender than I am. I guess what he's saying, he must have thought this through, so I'm just going to say yes. Mm. And I said, yeah, sure. And they said, what do you think about it? And I said, you know what? I think that sounds great. I mean, you guys would know this space, space, space better than I would. And they all kind of looked at each other and said, are you sure? And I said, uh, yeah, I think so. And the meeting ended 15 minutes early, mm. and, which is never a good sign, especially if, if you're talking about you know, a different proposal for a go-to-market strategy. Um, and at that point I I took a step back and I was like, wow, like, you know, like, was that the right, like, did I do something wrong? Was that the right way of approaching it? And as I get more, as I got more onboarded onto the role, onto the team and, and, you know, into my function, I began to realize the approach that I took was actually one that added no value that in that circumstance. And the value that I add is irrespective of my age or the tenure uh, of which I've been working, the biggest value I could have asked them is trying to understand more. And you understand more by asking questions. And you, by you asking questions, you begin to question their thought process, which allows you to become a leader in that space. And so in hindsight, one of the things that I really should have done was you know, really take a step back and saying, okay, what are they ultimately trying to do and what, how does their proposal fit into the broader scope of how that's going to affect the business? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's something that I, I, I should have learned earlier, and I didn't really learn as quickly as I should have because I didn't know that it was a problem at the time. But I think it was really just retroactively reflecting and saying, what what more could I have done in this space? Because I feel like I'm getting pressured from all these different people. And that's what's really forced me to kind of grow.
0: Yeah, I love it. And- I think there's a, a lovely phrase that says, you know, that experience is the best teacher, but sometimes the most expensive one, right? Where very often it's mistakes that teach us the most, and that's where we grow the most. And as, as folks, uh, yourself and myself included, that I enjoy coaching and helping others, it's that strange divide between we can share pieces of wisdom or talk about our experiences with the hope that they you know, kind of learn from these stories. But at the same time, there's so much wisdom and learnings that happen purely from going through those cycles but at the same time it's it's not to say that your know, mentorship is not valuable but at certain times you do have to be in the situation and be uncomfortable with those leaders or be uncomfortable saying oh i'm not sure if i made the right decision i should have done xyz instead and i think that's a lot to do with maturity and then with that in mind the idea of, of you know, mentorship and helping right. people grow with the topic of bamboo ceiling as context what are some things that Young professionals or students can do to start thinking, being more proactive about how do they fight this? Is it you know just ask why to everything? Raise their hand in every (laughs) team meeting they have and just say why, why, why? but What are some ideas or thoughts you can have here?
1: Yeah, I think I think it ultimately just goes back into finding finding people who can give you feedback and helping you self or I guess correct the course of your career because, you know, that was an isolated incident in which I, I, you know, had an experience. I learned from that experience and I moved on from that. But I think having an example to follow, to understand what does it mean to be a thought leader? What does it mean to become a leader within the space, irrespective of my age or tenure? And having that role model in mind allows you to say, what are some of the best practices I can take from them to build off of and try it? I may fail but ultimately learn from and really pivot yourself into becoming a better leader. And so I think just finding finding a mentor and not just one, but multiple mentors because one mentor cannot teach you everything that specifically that you might want to grow in. Finding a mentor in, profession, in someone who knows how to manage upwards and another mentor in another specific space like um, career advancement, another one in how to navigate You know, um, a job offer negotiations, and I think that's that's what really helped me because in in my at least personally for me, I have a mentor in each of those spaces, which really specializes in whatever problems that I'm really going through at work and outside of work. That's really helped me kind of self correct and learn from some of their wisdom, and using their wisdom to maybe make the same mistakes, but at least have a different perspective as to what are the things that I could learn from that.
0: And on that topic, I know finding mentors is really tough, especially if you're a student yeah. with very little career experiences. And there's an idea, too, I think it's both the easiest time but also the hardest time to find and ask for help as a student is you know, what do you, what does that ask look like? It's, oh, I think you're really cool. You have a cool job. You know, will you, you know, help me? Right. Versus a more focused question or a more focused ask. How did you reach out to find mentors when you were a student, and how do you do it now as a working professional? How do you reach out to other stakeholders, other folks that you meet? And then another layer on that, too, is do you only reach out to other Asians or Asian Americans, APIs, or do you try to cast kind of a broad and net? What's that balance like between, again, to kind of recap the question, is you know, how do you ask for mentors and find them as a student currently, and you know, who do you reach out to?
1: Yeah, I think the biggest value that um, that so when I was a, when I was a college student, the biggest thing that I was thinking in my head was I can't ever offer this person anything because I was a broke college student. So there's no way that I could buy them something that they can't buy themselves. There's uh, nothing I can provide them from a career perspective because I haven't even begun my career. And so one, why wouldn't anyone want to mentor me? And and so with that in mind, I was thinking, man, like it's gonna be so hard for me to find a mentor. But the more I you know, that the thing that I did was I just reached out to people and I said, Hey, you know what, like I, I'm I i want to learn more about the space. Can you please take some time to explain this to me? But the biggest difference that I made that the feedback that I've gotten from my mentors that none of the other mentees have done was following up. Mm-hmm. And it, in terms of finding a mentor, I think finding a mentor is is actually the easiest part. But how do you keep that mentor and how do you keep that person invested in you? I think is a significantly harder part because finding a mentor could come in the shape of reaching out to someone on LinkedIn or emailing them or meeting at a professional event, but fostering that relationship such that it not only grows you, but also grows the mentor themselves is something that's really hard to balance. And I think the key to that is following up, you know, out of all the people that I've mentored in my life, um, I think I maybe still keep in touch with about, two, maybe out of the 20 or 30 of people that I've through so far. And those people are the ones that I'm going to make sure that I'm going to go much above and beyond to invest in them because they've invested into my relationship. I always compare it to a flower, that every professional mentor relationship that you have is very much, a, very much like a flower. And if you leave it alone, you never water it, you never give it any intention, what's going to happen to the flower? the the flowers eventually just gonna rot away and die just like in re- any relationship would mm-hmm. and so really i think when you think about mentors following up with them asking them questions asking them thought-provoking questions and saying sharing and being transparent with them and saying hey i'm actually really struggling with you know balancing some of the some of the struggles that i'm going through at home with some of the work that i'm doing in school can you please help me figure out what i should do mm-hmm. and that allows them to become so much more invested into you, which allows them to become much, such such more fruitful relationship. Um, but, you know, and I think that that, that changes with time, especially as you go, get older. But as a student, I think that's what I would really recommend is find someone that you really admire and just be very intentional about making that relationship work just like you would for a flower. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And I think one other ingredient, maybe this is the fertilizer, or maybe this is the oxygen that helps this whole you know, plant flower development analogy, is vulnerability. I think vulnerability and being open about, hey, you're not really sure, you're uncertain, you know, you're thinking about this, but you know, you're really, you know, don't be afraid to use those emotional clock Hey, I'm a little bit terrified of graduating without a full time offer, or hey, you know, when you're working full time. I'm really struggling with learning how to do you know, data science experiments and I'm really worried it's affecting my performance because at the end of the day it's it's when somebody's asking for help it's it's coming from a position of weakness right that hey could you please help me out with this and you're essentially asking for someone to make but like you're making an offer and hoping someone helps you right and I think it's a lot easier to be helped if instead of coming you know, I think I'm guilty of this, and I imagine you may have had some of these emails in the past too. It's like you come off like I am like the shit, I am the, the smartest yeah. <laughs> I am the president of these ten things, and like I am like so great. Like, please tell me yeah, yeah, and I think that's the wrong way to approach it. Or here's this six-paragraph expose slash cover letter that is obviously copied and pasted, right? Because yeah. as a, as a mentor, it's very obvious that like hey you know you are good at what you do right and it's kind of funny as you start working full-time and you work at notable tech companies I'm sure we both get these random outreaches from strangers right whether it's connections on LinkedIn from people and there's like random who's oh I really want to learn about XYZ in the invitation but they never follow up right so it's like how do you really show that you really care and that you really need their help that you're asking me in particular because of these reasons not just oh I saw you worked at Google so I just want to talk to anybody at Google right it's like hey you know I'm I really want to learn about a strategy, you know, it seems like a really intimidating space, you know, like, how do you get into it as someone that hasn't, you know, done any internships in that space? So, yeah. um, I think to change the equation too is you know, for yourself, Like, how do you stay in touch with your mentors now? You know, what type of mentors do you look for?
1: Yeah, I mean, before I answer that question, mm-hmm. just going back to what you are saying, I think that point of vulnerability is so important because, mm-hmm. you know, oftentimes we want to flex and saying, hey, look how yeah. accomplished I am. but... If you were to think about another analogy as a hospital, like a hospital would never, you know, invest, want to invest time into someone who's really healthy. You would never go into hospital Mm -hmm. saying, hey, look at all my, you know, all all the, the, you know, my perfect blood pressure, my perfect BMI, my perfect fat Mm -hmm. percentage. They would look at you and say, hey, good for you, you know as opposed to someone who may go in and saying, hey, you know, I'm, I'm struggling with this. Can you please help me find a doctor? And I think mm-hmm. in a similar sense, I think that's very true for finding a mentor, that you do want to say, hey, I do have this space that I want to grow in. Can you please help me? Um, mm-hmm. I love that. I think that's so good. Um, yeah, I, mean, I appreciate that. Yeah, and I think vulnerability
0: is such a key component. And it's so hard now, too, because that idea of you know, with the bamboo ceiling as you know, it's greater context, it's, it's so hard when and how do you manage vulnerability when at work you're supposed to be, you know, strategic, decisive, analytical, collaborative, right? Like where does vulnerability come into play? And how do you almost like show your weaknesses or ask for help as working professionals from other leaders that might be, you know, on your interview, excuse me, on your promotion panel?
1: Yeah, you know, that's so funny that you mentioned that because, you know, one of the things that at least I've noticed about my job is you have to always be uh, comfortable with ambiguity to the point where you may know, you may be 70% sure about your answer, but you need to be 100% confident because otherwise no one's going to believe what you're saying. And that's kind of almost trickled into my personal life where I was traveling in Asia um, last December, and I was saying, I was, you know, I was traveling with one of my really close buddies who is uh, a bioengineer, and he was saying, hey, what do you think we should go? I'm like, absolutely this way. And he's like, okay, I, I, I trust you, and... Me internally, I was saying, "Hey, I think I remember seeing a map in here somewhere. I, th- yeah. I think this is the right way to go." And what was funny was that after you know a week and a half of traveling, he was saying, "Hey, I, one thing I noticed about you is that like you sound extremely confident when you actually don't know what you're talking about." And that was for me a kind of a wake up call because I was like, "Wow, like at you know this, these qualities that I show at work is kind of tr- trickling into my personal life where." You know, maybe I don't need to be that confident. And, you know, that's not the best thing to do, especially if you're traveling in a country where you don't mm-hmm. know where anything mm-hmm. is. Yeah. So yeah. I do think that there could be that separation of identity where you say, hey, you know, at work, it's going to be very decision-based and being comfortable with the ambiguity and understanding that something can be wrong, but you're just going to run with it versus when you're in person and, you know, you're just being a regular person that you could, t- you could tone that down. hmm
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And I think at the end of the day as with close friendships with family and the sign of a good mentorship is it's a safe space when you have those conversations where you can talk about your struggles you know, get you know face to face with your emotions and really share your vulnerabilities and i think that's if anything that helps to really cement that relationship both from a mentor perspective if i you know over the past few years i've had times where somebody that i was coaching or meeting with would just break down you know crying or they they're yeah. so frustrated that, you know, they would really just have to you know, take a moment for themselves and just like, hey. And then they, they always start apologizing. Oh, I'm sorry. It's like, no, no, no. Like anything, this is the most meaningful thing you can do is to show your true self, show your true emotions. And I think that's, you know, I wish I learned that earlier in my career. And maybe it's, yeah. think it's a good reminder, right? It's At the end of the day, we are, in a certain extent, where we're trying to influence people that you know, have power over us, whether it's seniority, you know, title or otherwise right you know we have to have this We have the flex right oh yeah this is the data yep. says i know this is the right decision
1: mm-hmm. yeah like and-
0: everyday human interactions and building relationships it's very much like hey you know give yourself a place to you know be wrong i think that's okay
1: yeah and and i think that's one thing that's really important to mention is that like oftentimes the people that are going that are you know, I'll quote unquote in charge of your career progression mm-hmm. are the ones that you also want to make sure that they're emotionally invested into your growth, not only from mm-hmm. a professional standpoint, not only from a, you know, we got to execution, we got to do these things from the business perspective, but also you want to make sure that they're on your side, that they're your bid, that they're also your coach
0: and they feel mm-hmm.
1: like they're invested into your growth as well. And, and I think that's something that I didn't realize as, as early as I should have is because You know, I was always told that, hey, you know, you always want to make it seem like you have your, you know, that you have everything, everything together in front of your manager so that you can make a manager's life easier. Mm -hmm. Yes, I agree from a, from an project execution perspective, but not from, hey, you know, manager, I'm really thinking about, you know, growing in this space. I'm not sure how the workload that I'm doing is helping me in that space. Can you help me think about how I should be uh, thinking about my career growth or. Even just being vulnerable and saying, "Hey, you know, what? I'm going through something tough at home. Do you mind if I, you know, take a couple, a couple, you know, just take the next couple days to take it easy?" And I think both those don't show weakness; rather, they show power and emotional stability. And if anything, it'll make you know your the people around you really invested, really invest more into you.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's so much real talk, so much wisdom being shared right now. It's almost funny where. I think one of the precursors to starting this podcast, it's almost in conversations like these where you're just sharing with a friend or someone that you know, has a relatable career path. And when you just talk about some of the mistakes or some of the learnings, right? This talk is pretty vulnerable in and of itself, right? And I think that's where there's so much wisdom to be shared. And before we you know, kind of swap over to our last topic, any any other last thoughts about generally the bamboo ceiling or what you know, folks in college or folks that are working currently should start to be more aware of or things that they should start yeah. doing or participating in. We'd love to hear your yeah. uh, closing thoughts on this.
1: Yeah, I think the if there's anything that you could take away from this whole bamboo ceiling is the the motto of ask for forgiveness, not for permission. Um, mm-hmm. For me, it's something that I've really heard once, maybe like five months into my career, someone said that and they said, you know, I'm just going to do it and I'm just going to try it. And if I don't know, if I fail, I'm going to apologize. And I think that auto, at least in my mind, you know, is such a perfect way to go about with your career because oftentimes the biggest learnings that you'll have is just by failing. And I think as an Asian especially come from an Asian background, you're you're told that your hands are gonna get slapped when you fail. yeah but the the biggest thing that you can do at work is to just push the boundaries and if you fail, you you spin up as spin, spin that as a positive thing and saying, hey, we lost one million dollars as a result of you know this this project that I that just completely flopped. but now we have learned six things that that's gonna help us prevent us from losing ten million dollars for the future. Mm-hmm. And so, I think ask for forgiveness, not for permission is something that I would really recommend people just try for their careers, try mm-hmm. that project, try that initiative. When someone says, hey, can you please present in this, in this in this executive meeting, take that as an opportunity for you to just run with it. Because mm-hmm. the best that will happen is you'd completely nail it and your manager just looks so highly of you. The worst thing that will happen is you learn from it and you won't make that mistake again.
0: Absolutely. I think with that million dollar mistake analogy, it's, lots well, of million dollars into the education, right? That's, you just paid the tuition for a nice, nice crash course. So I think that's a lot of really great wisdom asking for forgiveness rather than permission. And Absolutely. I think one last, one last big topic that I'd love to you know, hear your perspectives on is time management. I know you're a really, really busy guy, uh, you know, <laughs> scheduling this, you know, say like we want to make sure we carve time out. We're really conscientious. Of our scheduling, but that's something that we didn't always have that skill, time management. But for yourself, is that like, what are some you know apps or tricks or you know, habits that you have to get better at managing time? And also, could you share more of what takes up your time these days?
1: Yeah. So uh, at least in my mind, what takes up my time is four things. Um, one being work, two my passion project, three my social life, and four my hobbies. And so. Um, pretty much the way that, uh, so just talk a little bit about that. My, my job typically, uh, you know, pretty much takes up 50 to 60 hours a week, depending on how, you know, how painful some of the workrooms can be or how, how time sensitive some of the things that I'm working on. So it can be anywhere. I start my days roughly around 730 and them anywhere from 530 to, um, sometimes even working later in the night. Um, but that's my typical work schedule. Um, some of the passion, passion projects that I'm working on are: um, one, I've recently started up a food business um, called Eat Some, where we are serving Korean tapas in hopes to one day launch a Korean or uh, a, a brick-and-mortar restaurant. Um, and the second thing is investing more into the broader Asian community and the younger and I guess like the um, college student slash young professional community in developing their professional. To professional self. Um, and I have, you know, I'm, I'm doing this podcast with you. I'm very engaged on LinkedIn, as well as uh, this Facebook group uh, called Subtle Asian Networking, where we focus on developing Asians around the world professionally. Um, and, you know, obviously making time to meet my friends, spend time with my girlfriend. Um, and also making sure that I have time to travel or do, do my hobbies. You know, one of the things I really, I really invested in time and, you know, my resources into is traveling and I've been traveling once a month for the past two and a half years. Um, and I've been able to do that because I was, I've been very intentional with my time and, you know, and, and most of the time when, when I say this, it sounds like it's a lot, but when I actually go through my day, it doesn't feel like a lot. Um, because of two primary reasons. One, because one of the things that are, I'm devoting all my time to things that I love doing. Work is so intellectually stimulating to me and it keeps me on my toes. And this is exactly the way that I want to be challenged. Two, my passion projects are perfectly in line with my passions. and, And it makes me feel like I make, this is the reason why I've been sent on this earth. And I feel like the work that I'm doing here is really pushing the boundaries of, Some of the broader impact that i'm having on the communities my friends are very important to me like i mentioned so that's something i'm really uh, intentional about and lastly just hobbies of course you need time for hobbies and so the way that i manage this is my google calendar um simply put Mm -hmm. if it's not on my calendar i am not going to remember it and so i'm very intentional about the way that i spend my time and you'll never really find me having a lazy sunday where i just watch Netflix for the entire day. But typically how my schedule is structured is i go to work, come home, eat, gym, um, and then start working on my passion projects. That be it planning for the next food event that my food business is going to launch at or whether it's working on a, a PowerPoint deck for a workshop that I'm planning for to present in LA next week or whether it be, hey, writing my, writing my next LinkedIn content that I'll be posting the day after um and on the weekends I typically spend my mornings um, working on my side projects talking to people networking and on um, the the afternoon and evening times when I spend all my time with friends and so I never have downtime because all the activities that I do charges me up so that I don't really have the need to feel like I need to put myself in a hole and recharge yeah yeah that's
0: really really balanced I think there's idea of if you fill your time with things that uh, re-energize you, as you mentioned, it feels like you're a source of like perpetual energy, right? That, of course, you know not every day is perfect and groovy. You know Sometimes bad things happen at work, but you're able to recharge. Sounds like you have a really well-balanced social uh, group and community to help you, you know, bounce back if there's ever tough times and to keep you know, paying it forward. I love that. And just some thoughts that I had you know, as you were sharing is I think early on when we're in our careers we have this fear about whether it's being late or saying no and i think that's something that you get better at if you set, make it intentional that hey you know i can't make this because i have another commitment right or hey i really want to but right now i just don't have the time right i think once you say bandwidth it puts in a work setting right it's like but you know hey whether it's a friend's party or you know another happy hour i think that certain times you have to prioritize right like what yeah. is more important well if you have a workshop next week that has that time and urgency element, right? So I think there's so many ways that you can start thinking about how you protect your time. Whether it's, hey, if you have a back-to-back, you have to be conscientious of how far along this meeting is. It doesn't mean that you're checking your phone all the time this is actually one of my like little secrets if you actually wear a watch you can actually just quickly check the time without having to check your phone to make it look like yes messages, right? yes it's it's like the funniest thing that's
1: like oh I have to I love check my phone. Phone.
0: sorry i'm taking my i'm just taking the time it's it's like the simple little things was like ah like just checking the time and being like hey you know we, i have something in 10 minutes do you mind walking with me you know to this next meeting so we can still spend yeah. the time every minute right being really present there. so i think that's a Lovely little things that you learn along the way, but no one really explicitly tells you these little details.
1: Yeah, I, I you know, that's so funny that you say the the whole watch thing because that's exactly why I got a watch actually. And I only started wearing it earlier this year. And you're absolutely right that the number, the amount of times that I get distracted by Instagram, Facebook, you know, all these notifications got significantly less as a result of having a watch and these small little life hacks that you can do. So funny. I, 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 love, I love it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, this is something that I've done accidentally, and then it's just reminded me of it over this past week as I've been traveling, Uh, but it's whenever you go on an airplane, it feels like you're so productive and so present, right, where it's like, oh, I'm going to sip on this coffee, and it tastes so bad, but it's still getting caffeinated, you just feel very (laughs) intuitive to things, and I think it's also because your phone is on airplane mode, and you can actually turn your phone on airplane mode whenever you need to get stuff done, right, it's it's hilarious how when we were kids, and I'm sure there's... Folks listening that are much younger that grew up with a smartphone in their hands, essentially. But I remember growing up where it's like you didn't have to bring your phone everywhere, right? Now these days, yes, it does have a big portion of your life. If there are emergencies, yes, you should bring it. But at the end of the day, if you really need to focus, if you really need to get a project done, or really want to reflect on something, or plan something out, or just to be present, you know, it never hurts to just turn your phone on airplane mode even yeah. for a little bit of time. And I think you know, kind of the other piece I want to share was as I'm. Staying here in Thailand this week with my friend, she intention does not have Wi-Fi in her actual uh, condo. She wow. refuses to have it because she feels that she's not productive. So that's why you know we're record- I'm recording this in you know, the community library because it has Wi-Fi. So for her, it's like, well, once I'm upstairs, I'm just going to sleep. I'm just going to chill. But it made me realize when I'm chilling upstairs, it's. Wow, I waste so much time on Reddit, looking at YouTube, watching videos. But when when it's gone, you realize, wow, like it is such a habit. So I think it's once in a while it's a, a realization that, oh, well, if I do let this snap streak die, or if I don't respond to somebody in a timely <laughs> way, of course, there's some social currency that's lost, but at the end of the day, sometimes it's good to be present.
1: Yeah, and, and you know what's really one thing that's really interesting is that. Um, our team had an offsite uh, a couple months ago where we invited a, a, a psychologist, um, from Stanford to present to us on what it means to be productive. And they said that they've run some tests, um, with, with groups of people where they had a really easy exam, but it was really time sensitive. They had to answer a hundred questions in maybe a minute or so. And one group of people had a desk where, you know, they were completely focused, laser focused only on the test. And the other half of the group had the exact same setup, except they had a phone that was face down that wasn't theirs. And consistently across the board, you would see that the people that had a group or that had the phone, even if it wasn't theirs around them, the productivity dropped by like 15 or 20%. Um, wow. And, you know, as you were saying that, hey, you know, it's okay to be in airplane mode. Yeah, it's okay to have an airplane mode, but it's also okay to – have it away where you can't see it, because oftentimes when you do see it, you mm-hmm. might get a little nudge to say, hey, you know, maybe someone messaged me, or maybe I got, you know, I want to see how many likes I got on my recent Instagram photo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's,
0: it's I, incredibly- I to an extreme. Yeah. Over the past few years, I've only had um, the, the phone cases that have a cover. So even for rings, it's like, ah, oh, it's one well more thing. So even if I mm-hmm out my phone I have to open the cover as well so it's one other small blocker to keep me off my phone but it's small little hacks like that where all of a sudden it's a little bit of an extreme it makes me not be able to have cool phone cases but uh, (laughs) I think that definitely helped me to be less of a phone addict
1: yeah yeah Uh, and for me it really is that that watch that you're mentioning man it significantly improved my productivity when I no longer had to look at my phone for for the time yeah yeah
0: well, beautifully shared i think there's so many great insights from time management and you know, this being a role model in the community and structuring your calendar in such a way that you, you know, are energized by work you have you know, recurring community uh, meetups whether it's with friends or doing the workshops i think that's really really great and you know i'm excited to keep these of conversations going and be able to you know Put on different events in the future with you. I think there's a lot of great yes. work that you're leading and that there's so much that we can do as role models in the greater Asian community to help paying it forward. I think we have a lot of great stories to keep sharing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think one of the one of the first steps in making sure that, hey, how do we tackle this such a hard problem of sharing what it means to break this bamboo ceiling one strand at a time is sharing these stories, sharing the learnings that we've had such that hopefully can spark one person or help one person's professional journey apply to themselves and, and them being that, you know, almost ambassador for, hey, you know, there is a problem here in this space. This is the way that I've tackled it. And hopefully it becomes a networking effect of just, just uh, of, of impact for just generations onwards.
0: Yeah. And I think this is something we probably both feel is that there's this idea of, oh, I can be a good leader if I improve, if I get smarter, if I get promoted. But I realized that just being one little blip does not break the bamboo ceiling. It just means that, oh, yeah, you're an outlier, you're an anomaly. So I think there's a lot of responsibility that we have to help you know, change the perception of Asians in the workforce as well as to help coach and guide others. So I think whether it's taking part in your corporate uh, employee resource groups, ERGs, or joining in different community groups in your actual physical community, you know, taking part of nonprofits, or sitting on a board, or simply going to a local high school to put on, you know, a presentation, I
1: think there's so many ways that we can continue to give back. Absolutely, yeah. I think giving back is definitely the way that the whole world makes its way around yeah
0: certainly and i know we're getting close to time and i want to make sure to you know give us some closing thoughts to wrap up this conversation But one thing that i love to do is uh, you know first is you know if you could share what are some of the big questions or challenges on your mind and then share some closing wisdom but first off but what's on your plate these days you mentioned the workshop you mentioned yeah that that is your business like what's on your plate these days
1: yeah so um i can give a question that i'm thinking about for each of the things that i'm working on the first thing with regards to work is, you know, I recently just was promoted, um, which was a huge blessing, um, Congrats. thank you very much. Um, then the question I'm struggling with is what now do I continue down this path of being in this team where I feel like I've developed a really great relationship or a really good name for myself and I've really gotten to good groove of the work that I'm doing, or does it make sense for me to jump into a new space where I completely start from scratch? and see if i could ramp up faster or make faster impact or be in a completely different environment where i'm uncomfortable again and that's one of the big things i'm really thinking about as i think about my career Um, with regards to my food business the big question i'm thinking about is what is our ultimate long-term goal we went into this thinking hey we want to be a brick and mortar restaurant but is that really what we want to do after some of the experience that we've had serving food Um, So we're kind of in an identity crisis, and we're talking to different vendors and restaurants of, you know, some of the paths that they've taken to see if it really resonates with us. Mm -hmm. Uh, With the professional development side, the key question I'm really thinking about always is, like, how can I make sure that I touch more people with the time that I'm putting into this? Mm -hmm. And as I'm thinking about doing different live streams or creating content, How can I accelerate that? And how can I make sure that it makes it so impactful to people such that it changes the way that they think? And really in my mind, whether it's, you know, an online course or whether it's me continuing doing workshops or what have you, like, I'm constantly thinking about what I can do more. So I love that, you know, Derek, you brought me onto this podcast because this is definitely one of the areas of investment that I really want to make in this, especially with my time. Um, and socially, um, one of the things that I'm really thinking about is um, hey, you know, like I've had the pleasure of traveling once a month for the past two and a half years, is this something that I want to do or is this something that, you know, I'll maybe tone down with in hopes that, you know, I can start taking up another hobby of boxing and having a consistent schedule where I can maybe go to a, a class on a regular basis or having a personal trainer maybe. Um, so those are some of the things I'm thinking about, at least with all aspects of my life. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's awesome. And I imagine that you do your fair share of journaling or planning just to really, because there's so many thoughts of, you know, oh, how should I improve? I'm happy, but am I not happy? And I feel like without you know, getting your thoughts organized, it's really hard to build a forward-looking plan. So I think, of course, nothing ever truly goes perfectly to the plan, but if you don't have a plan, things are definitely not going to go south. So definitely great <laughs> to hear that. Yeah.
1: yeah. Right. And and I think the key thing about having a plan is that every plan isn't ever final. That you can mm-hmm. always change, if you like, and that yeah. have definitely makes makes me have comfort that my plan doesn't need to be hundred percent perfect. It just needs to be sixty percent perfect.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And before we wrap up today, I always want to give you a chance to you know, share you know, any closing thoughts, comments, advice. Uh, one line of questioning is, is there anything you wish you knew earlier in your life? I know that we talked a lot about career advice already. but Before we wrap up, any last closing thoughts or advice for our listeners?
1: Yeah, I think uh, the, the biggest thing that you should take away from this is if you have any questions, ask Derek. Email. <laughs> <laughs> He'll give you all the answers. Um, oh,
0: fun, fun, fun. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> but uh, I think for me, the the thing that I wish that I knew was that um, no one ever really knows what they're doing. No matter what level you are, no matter where you are within your tenure, no one is ever a hundred percent sure. And people just become as you get more tenured in your career, you just get familiar with the type of situations, which thus gives you more confidence in your answer that you're not a hundred percent sure on. And if no one's really a hundred percent sure on the answer, why should you hesitate more than the next person? And so if there's anything that you should take away from this it's ask for forgiveness not for permission be bold take action and just learn
0: i love it i love it perfect closing thoughts and i think this has been a really really tremendously valuable use of your time and i really appreciate all of the thoughts and the guidance that you shared with our listeners and looking forward to keeping up this partnership jerry
1: yeah absolutely and again thank you so much for having me on here it was such a blast i can't believe it's already been what an hour so far yeah <laughs> <Time flew> crazy <laughs> thanks oh, yeah. again derek I appreciate yeah. this no worries i'm looking forward to sharing this with our
0: listeners thanks again for tuning in to the paper lantern podcast i'm your host derek wong and i hope that you enjoyed this week's episode we are just getting started with producing episodes and could use your input to help us get better If you have any feedback for us or suggestions on who you'd like to see as a guest, please don't hesitate to reach out. If you have a friend or colleague that you think might enjoy this episode, please share our podcast with them and tell them to visit our website, thepaperlantern.blog. Thanks for taking the time to listen, and I hope you have a wonderful week. Cheers.